Do you consider yourself a high achiever? Smart, driven, highly successful? I am so excited to have you. My name is Julia Arndt and I'm the host of the Stress Podcast. I will help you develop your stress resilience the same way you've developed your workplace superpowers. Learn peak performance tools to thrive at work and in your personal life. Let's get started. Hi, and welcome back to the Stress Podcast. I'm really excited to welcome today Erika to the podcast. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Erika, I always start my podcast with three really simple questions. Where are you? What time zone are you at? And what have you been up to today? Um, I am in Milan, which is where I live. Um, time zone is Central European. Uh, so it's seven o'clock here. And what have I been up to today? Um, solving problems. <laughs> solving problems and seeding the future. Nice. Both professionally and personally or more professionally or more personally? Well, you know, these days it's all a mix. So. <laughs> yeah, cool. Um, tell us a little bit more about you, Eric. I'd love to hear more about your journey um, where it started from maybe like a professional perspective and where you are at today. Sure. Well, um, so I'll give you the longer version. I actually, I grew up in New York. I moved to Milan when I was 24 mm -hmm. uh, and I worked in advertising and I worked in, continued to work in advertising for much of my career. I went client side and my career highlight was that I was the advertising media and digital director for Ray-Ban for 10 years, which was a dream job, dream brand, dream team, dream everything. Um, one day, actually right about now, it was like April 11th. So I woke up one day and I didn't have vision in my right eye. Like I couldn't see out of my right eye. Uh, and at first I thought it was nothing. I'm one of those people that doesn't go to the doctor unless like limbs are falling off. Um, but while I was in a meeting and I was trying to read, I couldn't see anything. And I was Googling Dr. Google is never a good idea, but in this case, it, it, uh, saved me. And I saw that it talked about pre-strokes. And since everyone in my family, um, on my mother's side suffered from strokes, I said, all right, let me get myself to a hospital rather quickly. Um, Turns out that it was not a pre-stroke, but they checked me into the hospital for 10 days and ran extensive neurological testing. And ultimately they found that my body was healthy, but that this was um, a sort of knock-on effect of stress and my lifestyle at the time. Mm -hmm. And um, this is one of the things that I always like to sort of underline when I talk about in my work is that You know, usually when you have burnout episodes, you expect people to be um, stressed or they hate their jobs or they just can't do it anymore. And mine was none of that. I actually loved my job. And um, the problem was really just that I loved it so much that I was burning the candle at every single end. Mm -hmm. And my body ended up telling me time to take a time out. Mm -hmm. um, so that happened. And after that was over, there was another sort of series of personal events that happened with people around me. And uh, I started to get very interested in the body and stress and the connections 
and mental health. And I enrolled myself in a um, postgraduate course in the neuroscience and psychology of mental health at King's College. And that was really a life changer. Um, it was a life changer in terms of multiple neuroscience for me was like a religious experience. There were answers to so many of my questions and things that I had been mulling over in my head and finally had like a scientific back backing to it. Um, but also seeing how all the systems in the body connect and that there's so much more to stress that we don't know. And um, one of the things I always say is stress is far more complicated than we might understand and actually far easier to fix than we might know. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was where I sort of discovered it. And from then I went on to get a master's in organizational and behavioral psychology at London Metropolitan University. And uh, I opened my company moodily afterwards as sort of a combination of everything that I had learned um, because one of the things that came out in stress is that you can use specific thought techniques or creative materials or, you know, certain exercises to shift your mind and therefore mood in real time. Um, and that was really where I focused my work because uh, in science, there's literally millions of articles on Google scholar about the effect that mood has on how we show up every day, how we perform at our jobs, the decisions we make, our memory, et cetera, et cetera. And we think of moods as, you know, we're, we know we have them, but we don't actually understand the implication that they have on how we experience life. Um, and so that's uh, where Moodily came from, where it became sort of a personal and professional mission for me to share this information with other people, because once you can get your mood in check and and you can actually regulate it on command uh, that you can actually learn to perform better and show up better in your life wow okay here i am today yeah that's really great thank you so much i uh, i'm really uh, curious to kind of backtrack a little bit um so you you loved your job you know it seems like I loved my job you were saying your lifestyle at the time was stressful can you tell us a little bit more about like what that lifestyle looked like did you travel a lot did you like work many hours like what exactly was the lifestyle it was yes to all of those and at the same time i had a young child um and so for me it was about trying to be awesome in all categories of life, right? I didn't, I wanted to be an excellent executive. I wanted to be an excellent mother. And so sometimes for me, that meant flying to China overnight and then flying back the same day or the next day so that I wouldn't miss birthday parties or so that I wouldn't miss uh, recitals and things like that. And I don't regret ever anything that I did. I wasn't aware obviously, of the health implications that that had. Um, but it was just a matter of being very passionate. You know, I was very passionate about my job and I was very passionate about my life. And ultimately, <laughs> I needed to tone it back a little bit on both fronts in order to make it sustainable. But I only learned that after the fact. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so you went to the hospital, you were there for 10 days, they checked you out and that they eventually said, oh, it was like stress related and your lifestyle related. Well, so, you know, they go through 
they treat you for the worst case scenario. Mm -hmm. Um, and they thought it was a very, they thought that it was potentially a, a first clue of multiple sclerosis, but then they went for exclusion, uh, and they were like, there's nothing else in your body. And I was having to do some hideously invasive tests that I've only seen on like Dr. House and things like that. And they would give me these tests and they're like, the, like the good news is if this one comes up clean, then we'll give you a worse test. <laughs> and, you know, it's like, all right. So I have to hope that I can get the really bad test because it means there's nothing wrong on the other ones. And that's kind of how it happened. And that when they came down to the end of the fact, and it actually was, it was not an immediate diagnosis because when I walked out, they were like, we need to know more and we need to like observe you more. And, and it was actually only after a couple of years when they're like looking at the situation holistically, it had to have been your lifestyle, which may have caused like a vitamin deficiency in this case, which caused, a you know, an, um, deterioration of the myelin sheath around your optic nerve, which then caused you to lose vision. So, and that's the thing that I think is the most important thing to understand about stress is that it's never a straight line. It doesn't show up like stress. And then this exactly happens because all the systems in the body are involved in your stress response. Um, and so it can show up as diabetes. It can show up as a heart issue. It can show up as lost vision. There's so many different symptoms because one of the systems is going to go out of whack mm -hmm. as a result of this response being consistently on in your body. Yeah. And so after the 10 days, did you like recover a little bit of the vision? Is it, is it fully back now? Yes, I did. The, the good news is that I got my vision back um, after a few weeks. Actually, when they told me in the hospital, they gave me a whole bunch of things that I had to do. And they told me um, that it was kind of like a short circuit on my nerves. And I am very much a believer also in Eastern medicine. So I went to my acupuncturist and um, she, you know, whether it was going to come back on itself or not, I don't know. But uh, after a few sessions with her, my vision returned a hundred percent, which when I left the hospital, they were like, it's not a guarantee. So I consider myself to be very lucky. Yeah, of course. Especially, I feel like, especially the vision, I think that's such a, I mean, there are so many obviously different important parts in our bodies, but I feel like the vision is just such a, you know, I think the truth is that we would hate to lose any one of them. Yeah, exactly. um, And, and so, you know, I, I genuinely, it's a cliche to say, if you have your health, then almost nothing else matters. But in that moment, it was very clear that that was the case. Yeah. All right. So you, uh, you come back from the hospital, you know, it's kind of, you know, you're probably a little bit like, oh, what the heck has just happened to me? <laughs> and then Indeed. did you just go back to work and like kept on working or was it like an immediate, like, I have to like switch my lifestyle around. No, I left my job. Um, and I took some time off to sort of decant. And um, I am not a person who can sit still for very long. And, um, and it was actually quite interesting, because when and I write a lot about toxic productivity, which I will fully admit is now that I understand it, something that I have suffered from my entire life. Mm -hmm. um, But when you remove yourself from the doing constantly, 
and you are surrounded by silence, it is an overachiever's worst nightmare because my emails went from 400 a day to like 10 and they were mostly spam. Uh, people, you know, uh, and this is an unfortunate fact of life, but when you leave certain jobs, you may find that your friends <laughs> shrink in number. Um, and so there was a whole period there of me getting used to not being that person anymore. And I would say it was probably the closest I've ever gotten to a depressive episode in my life. I am not a, a, a down person by nature, but having to deal with all that loss of identity, loss of activity, and really what I understand now is a drop in dopaminergic feedback constantly uh, was very hard to deal with. Um, and so to take my mind off of it, I renovated my apartment. <laughs> okay. I was like, where can I find some new stress? Yes. <laughs> yeah. But it wasn't a consideration for you to go back to that job. Like, you, you know, you, you said you took some time off and, you know, you started to feel depressed. Wouldn't like the like that logic mind in that moment, logic mind be like, I need to go back to this job because it made me so happy. Well, there were a couple things that happened. The company that I had worked for was also going through a transition phase. And so um, going back would not have been going back to the same situation that I had worked for. The boss that I worked for left, uh, a new boss came in. And so, you know, as every every organization goes through changes, they did too. So even even though I may have longed for a past to return to, there was not the same situation. Like the too many pieces on the puzzle or on the chessboard had moved to even consider going back to that. And at the same time, I also had, and I still have to this day, a little bit of PTSD about, God, if I go back, is it going to happen again? You know, will I get sucked into it again? And, and so that kind of keeps me, which is funny because I actually think that working as an entrepreneur may actually be more stressful than what I was dealing with before in a different way. Um, but, you know, I still, I still have the thought of what will happen if so. And so how many years was that ago? When did you start? Like when that was in burnout happened? It was in 2015. Okay. And then you basically decided to go back to school, like you, you did all of these different certifications and then started your own business. Yes. And well, because I was also going through a little bit of a midlife crisis at the same time. Um, and there was a part of me that wanted to do something, even though I loved my job and we tried to make uh, the messages that we put out into the public as meaningful as possible, uh, that they might help other people or inspire other people, give them confidence. Uh, I was very much in a phase of my life where I wanted to be able to put my skills to a, to a, a higher purpose, to help people make their lives better, to help people feel better. And I did get into sort of personal coaching for a little while, especially for women um, in executive roles or trying to be executives. One of my big passions has always been mentoring young talents. Um, and so I had that kind of connection uh, there. But yes, I was very, once I started studying the neuroscience, and the truth is, 
sorry, I keep cutting myself off. But the truth is that while I never in a million years thought I would start my own company, to be honest, um, it was not in my plan. But once I took that program on the neuroscience of mental health, and I discovered what I discovered, I actually felt an obligation to share what I knew. It was kind of like I had the secret to well-being. And if I didn't share it, I was kind of not being a really good person. You know? yeah. um, so I totally relate. That's like similar to my story too, for sure. Yeah. So that's where it came from. I was like, I know this stuff. I know this can make people's lives better. And I know it's difficult to make behavioral changes even when you want to, because the brain is wired to keep you exactly where you are. It loves your comfort zone. It doesn't like change at all. Mm -hmm. um, but I really just felt so compelled to sort of make this my life's mission about putting this information out in the public and in the right hands and then sort of trusting that, you know, what will be, will be. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Yeah, I totally, like I said, I can totally relate and I totally understand. And so um, one question before we jumping into the topic of moods, because obviously I want to talk with you about this, but toxic productivity, since you talked about it, um, you know, one thought that I just had was, what would you have said to someone that would have told you in the moment while you were having that lifestyle that it's absolutely destructive what you're doing to yourself and Like, was that an awareness or was that totally like unaware that that's what you were doing to yourself? I think there was definitely an awareness. I mean, I knew that I was pushing myself and there were definitely days. And this is one of the first sort of signs that I tell people is a, a clue that you have that you're nearing burnout is that if you get out of bed and you find yourself sitting on the edge of the bed, like, I don't know if I can do this. Mm -hmm. that's when you need to sort of stop and take stock and reevaluate because it's your body literally sending you signals that it cannot, <laughs> you know? And, and the thing that I think is, uh, sorry, I, I think the thing that is uh, so misunderstood about burnout is that people assume it's a psychological situation, you know, the, Sure. They just, they get tired. They can't handle it anymore. They can't hack it. Uh, they've gotten old time to put them out to pasture. And it's absolute nonsense because it is 100% a physiological problem. Uh, one of the systems in your bodies is not functioning and your body is sending you signals that it doesn't have the energy that it needs to continue to operate at certain levels. We have devices that tell us when our batteries are running out. Uh, our body has those same symptoms, but we don't know how to read them. Um, so I think if someone had told me, uh, I would have said, yeah, you're probably right. Would I have done something about it then? I don't know. I, it would have had to have come to me in the right language, which is kind of what I try and work around. I, tr I use my advertising and communications background background to try and formulate this information in a way that it's not scary or scientific or, you know, that it's really practical and easy to understand. Um, because one of the things that I learned is that when you understand how and why things work, 
you look at them differently. So if I said to you, um, I'll give you a very boring example. Um, I had seen a nutritionist many years ago who told me to get up like at least once an hour from my chair and walk around and, but she didn't tell me why. And so for me, it was just like, okay, like it's up to my judgment to decide whether that makes sense or not make sense. When I talked to someone else who told me, okay, so here's what happens. Your white blood cells or your fat cells like settle. And if you don't move every hour, they just fall asleep. So if you move in that time, they come up and they can refunction. Knowing that gives me a way better educated, like I know the background, I can make a better guess for myself. So now it's like, okay, I know if I'm not, if I'm going to sit still for an hour, my fat cells aren't going to be burning. So I should get up. So that's very much what my work is about is trying to give people, not trying to scare them straight, but help you understand the dynamics about how things work so that you can make better choices for yourself. Because if you don't choose with your own mind to make those choices, it's never going to happen. Change doesn't come when somebody tells you to change. It comes when you decide to change. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Cool. Yeah. So what, uh, what did you discover about moods that made you so fascinated to like really build your business around it? Well, what I discovered was that the mood is the root of everything. If you, and, and there's a great sort of example that I do in some of, in my sessions where I walk people through a very specific scenario, right. And I use their imaginations and say, let's say like, all these bad things have happened to you in the morning and you're in a bad mood. And then this thing happens. How do you react? And they're able to imagine it. And then I say, okay, let's flip that situation. Now we've had like a wonderful day, same exact thing happens. How do you react? And almost a hundred percent of the time, everyone is very conscious of the fact that they will react completely differently. So it's not the stimulus. It's not what happens to you. It's how you perceive it. The mood you are in determines how you experience the world around you. Now, that's from a very sort of psychological point of view. But if we look at the neuroscience, there's actually different systems that work when you're angry or stressed or whatever. The part of your brain that is able to sort of downregulate your mood, that's responsible for lateral thinking, for creative projections, for imagination is weakened. You don't have access to it because the back of your brain, which is the reactive one, is hypercharged. And so you actually, uh, your cognitive abilities are dramatically impaired based on the mood that you're in. So if you're in a bad mood or if you're upset Uh, you are not able to learn as well because you can't plant the pathways that you need to. Um, You perceive things differently. Your attention is pointed to different things than it would be. So if you're in a bad mood, you don't see the good things that are happening because you're focusing on the negative. So there's this whole world around it. and, And it's very well known and very documented in the scientific and academic community. But this information, which is so, so, so vital to people who live and work every day, mm-hmm. haven't really had access to it. Um, and so that was really, when I read it, especially thinking about my own community, about other professionals, I was like, well, God, if I knew this, maybe I would have 
you know, it's kind of like going back to that fat cell example. If I knew that this was the case, maybe I would have made different choices. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, so what I'm still thinking is though, isn't it still related to like higher stress levels that then usually like, you know, I, I feel like it's almost like a chain reaction, right? Like I'm thinking, okay, you know, you go to work, you have a lot of things going on, you, you work later than you should, right? Like you're going to bed later, you have a lot of insulin and adrenaline in your body, like the two stress hormones, and you go to bed, you can't fall asleep because you have all these thoughts, you wake up in the morning, you haven't had enough sleep or a deep sleep. So then I feel like that's kind of where that cycle begins of, you know, you're getting up, you're feeling drained and tired. Um, and that's, usually I feel like that's already kind of that mood downer, no, where, where you're like a little bit more in a, in a like more negative place. And I totally like, I'm telling you this because I've just had that experience um, kind of last week and then early this week where I was like, wow, I've worked. So I've had that realization, right. And obviously I'm a very aware person now that I'm teaching it myself where I'm like, I've worked so much and I've had, you know, a lot of physical and social activities every day for the last seven days. And I need a lot of downtime for myself in order to recharge my batteries, which I didn't have. So yeah. Monday I woke up and went to work or like sat down in my office <laughs> and, um, and I felt super tired and I was more moody and I, you know, took things more personally. Like I kind of can observe that kind of cycle in myself because I've obviously experienced it many times over and, you know, suffered from burnout in 2018. Um, so how is stress then related to the mood? Do you, do you feel like that's, that's also correlated? Well, they're obviously interconnected. And the truth is that anything, it can be stress or it cannot be stress. Because as you noted, you can wake up and feel tired. Mm-hmm. And that's already enough to put you in a mood. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are different things. There are cortisol levels, you know, and there's, so many different inputs you can have. So, uh, you know, what did you eat before you went to sleep? Um, were you looking at devices up until the second before you went to bed? You know, there's lots of different things and sleep is one of the, the main effectors of mood. If we sleep badly, we wake up in a bad mood. It's like almost guaranteed. Um, And there's a lot of science that also shows that the mood you're in in the morning Mm -hmm. is the one you're going to carry throughout the day. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's also, there's also other evidence that shows if you can set your mood in the morning, if you wake up and you know, I'm in a bad mood, okay, then I need to do this, this, and this, and it's not drink caffeine and it's not push through. And it's not, it's literally find a playlist that you like because your body responds, right? Our thoughts. And it sounds like Eastern philosophy and it is because they've been saying it for 5,000 years, but now we have the neuroscience to prove it. Your thoughts command the physiological reactions in your body. So if you wake up feeling tired and saying, Oh my God, there's no way I'm going to be able to get through this day you have just signaled to everything in your body that that's exactly what's going to happen. If you wake up and you're like, Oh my God, I'm so tired. Let me find my music playlist that picks me up that it might not get you to hear, but it'll certainly get you a little bit further. Mm-hmm. Um, so stress is 100% connected to our mood because every time we have a stressful encounter over the course of the day, it changes the mood that we're in. 
Uh, and then because of something called mood congruent bias, where, as I said before, we pay more attention to things in the mood we're in. So once we're in that negative space, it gets harder and harder to get out of it, mm-hmm. especially if we're not aware of how we're feeling. Mm-hmm. So what my whole work tries to do, and this is what the app does that, that I developed, is um, uses creative material to help you shift your mood in real time. So if you do wake up and you're like, oh, there's no way I'm going to be able to make it through today, you can put on one of those videos or uh, listen to it and it will help you start to send different signals to your body. Mm -hmm. Then of course, at a certain point, you do have to sort of match it physiologically. You need to watch what you eat. You need to watch your activity levels during the day. You need to watch how you interact with other people. Uh, it's best to create sort of a routine around bedtime and treat that sleep as precious because if your sleep cycle is off, um, it's going to affect everything hormonally and otherwise. Um, but it, it will at least give you what you need to, to start sending different signals throughout your body to get a different reaction. Amazing. And what else can you then do? So let's say, you know, you're at work, maybe you're listening to the podcast while you're at work or you're going to the office and um, you're like, okay, I feel like I'm in a bad mood. Like what would be the next steps that you can take to kind of shift that? Well, the first thing is to recognize it. Obviously you can't solve a problem if you haven't identified the problem. So the first step is to be Uh, open with oneself. And instead of, you know, we can like, if we're stuck in traffic or if we're late for work, we tend to just then project all of the negative things that are going to happen afterwards. So simply stopping and being like, you know what, I'm in a really bad mood right now. And I'm just gonna, acceptance is always the first step because then it already starts to dissipate because you've made it cognitive. Uh, so it's like, I'm in a bad mood right now. Then what you want to do is focus on shifting your thoughts. Um, and there's a lot of talk about toxic productivity, uh, excuse me, toxic positivity, which is the, like always thinking positive in the face of anything. Uh, and that is unhealthy. What you want to do is accept the feeling I'm in a bad mood and I'm in a bad mood about this. And that is 100% justified. And so you've already, you're already starting to calm yourself down and then be like, knowing that I'm in a bad mood and it's justified. What else can I think about that will help me to stop being in a bad mood? Let me think about this lovely day that I had at the beach Or let me think about the positive things that could come as a result of me being late to work. Maybe I'll miss, you know, some (laughs) unpleasant event that happens at the door and really start reframing and shifting your thoughts in your moment, in that moment. If you can control your thoughts and and direct them at will, you can control your mood. And you control your life. (laughs) Well, you can at least get it back. What you learn there is resilience. And this is the thing I get asked a lot about toxic positivity, because the truth is, is that for the brain, fake it till you make it works because whatever you are thinking is your reality. So fake it till you make it works. Is toxic positivity healthy? Absolutely not. We want to learn how to accept that bad things happen. 
but have the confidence to know that we have the skills to be able to get out of there. Mm-hmm. And that's the, res- that's where the resilience comes in. It's like, uh, we build a thing called self-efficacy and we tend to react to stress poorly because we don't believe in our ability to get to face that situation or to successfully overcome that situation. If I told you that tomorrow you have to teach a bunch of two-year-olds how to draw, you might not like the idea of spending a morning with two-year-olds drawing, but you wouldn't feel like your skills are not able to handle that. If I tell you that your CEO is coming in and wants to review all of your work for the last month, you're going to panic. You will have a totally different reaction because inside of you, you're telling yourself that you're not up to that challenge. And that's where the stress comes in. So learning these skills and being able to say, okay, I'm upset. I'm worried. uh, This is going to make me anxious. I'm afraid that this will happen and being like, okay, stop. We don't know what the future is going to be like. Let me just focus on right now and put my head in a better space so that I can tackle this. And by learning to do that over time, the brain rewires itself. So that's actually how you develop your emotional resiliency by accepting what's happening and then being able to shift it. Yeah, because it's not about like pushing those negative feelings down and then like locking them away, right? Absolutely not. But other, yeah. So I love that you were saying that. So it's really about accepting your- your You want to accept you. The more you acknowledge it, the better it is. It's by saying, I'm not mad. (laughs) You actually move into a space where you're gaslighting your own body and the body's like, yes, we are mad. You're like, no, you're not mad. Mm -hmm. Do you want to be like, I'm angry and that's okay. Mm -hmm. And now that I know that I'm angry and that's okay, what can I do to stop being angry? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very cool. And so anything else from a neuroscientific perspective that really helped you shift, um, you know, your belief system, right? So you were talking about, obviously, um, you know, how moods affected, like, you know, like the reactive brain versus like maybe more the proactive brain. Um, And obviously about rewiring, like wiring and rewiring the brain as well. Was there anything else um, that really helped you shift your perspective on these things? Yeah. And I think the one lesson when I do my, my speeches or my courses, the one thing that I always tell people, like, if you accept nothing of what I've said to you today, and you take nothing home, just remember this one thing that any behavior that you repeat, whether it be motoric, or whether it be an emotional reaction, your brain wires itself to make that automatic. So if you automatically respond poorly every time your boss calls, that's all you're ever going to do. And so we have to be very conscious about how we respond as opposed to react to situations uh, so that we don't end up wiring really bad negative habits into our system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. And so when you started this whole process and journey of learning about these things, um, was there a book that really changed your perspective on these things? There was not one book, I'll be honest. Um, it was obviously a, a, everything that I read in, um, in my school was building on top of it. I find the whole field to just be fascinating. Yeah. Um, 
So I wouldn't have anything. Um, no, that's not true. I do have my favorite book actually from Dr. Lisa Feldman Barrett about the making of emotions. Um, and that's something that I recommend to everybody because she writes in a way that the it's not, it's academic, but it's for a layman. Um, and she has another one that she released recently about the brain. And I think that everything that she writes is an absolute treasure trove of information. Very cool. Well, I will make sure to link that to the show notes as well. Yeah, she's and fantastic. And she's on Twitter too and, and just gives a bunch of fabulous information. Very cool. And um, how do you now regulate stress? Like maybe, well, let me ask you this other question first and then I'd like to ask the other question that I just asked. <laughs> uh, okay. So what, what do you do like nowadays, like in your day-to-day -day work? What does it really look like? And do you work with clients one-on-one? -on -one? Do you work in you know, with groups, with teams, with companies, like what does it really entail? And you mentioned an app as well. Yes. Well, so I do a lot of different things, which makes it difficult because since the brain loves habit and routine, I have none of that. So I am constantly in a state of uh, <laughs> precarity. Um, but I have, so I've developed an app, as I said, that uses creative materials, Uh, videos, audios, articles, exercises to help people change their mood on demand. Uh, it's currently only available B2B through my speaking engagements or when I work with companies. Um, but it was sort of my, my perfect bringing everything together because it was like all the work that I had from my uh, advertising experience and being a creative director mixed with the science Uh, and so actually it was in that that I sort of saw my future calling when I was like, oh, I, you can use creative to help people change their moods. Mm -hmm. I kind of felt like, all right, well, maybe that's why I'm on the planet. Um, and so I have that. And uh, then I do for different things for organizations. I've gone in as a keynote speaker. Um, I provide training to groups. I've done one-on-one -on -one burnout coaching with executives who more in prevention than recovery. Uh, recovery is a very different uh, situation in there. I would refer them to another woman who's amazing. Um, but working with people on, am I burning out? Like I get a lot of executives who just want to know, are my symptoms burnout? What should I do? Is this normal? Should I be feeling like this? You know, So I work with them a lot um, on stuff like that. And then I'm also working on... Um, providing content to white labeled content to organizations to be able to send to their employees uh, in order to break down everything that I know into sort of bite-size weekly uh, newsletters that they can get so that they get the skills without having to implement a whole workplace wellness program, which can be very expensive and time consuming to research and implement and mm -hmm. tend to have low engagement rates. So um, that's another solution that I've been working on. Very cool. And where did the name come from? I mean, obviously mood is, is that's clear, <laughs> but moodily yes. and what's kind of that connection? Well, I always said, so it's moodily and it's your mood ally for the workplace. So, but mood allied sounds weird. So moodily. <laughs> Very cool.
And so, yeah, so what do you do now? Like you, you were just saying, you're doing a million different things, right? You're um, having your hands in a lot of different things. And um, how do you manage now your stress levels? And like, how do you recognize your mood? Like, how does your day to day look like? Well, so my day to day is uh, challenging because no two days look exactly the same. Um, and I will find myself in spaces where I'm like trying to push to do something and I recognize old behaviors coming up, you know, and, and I'll have to be like, you know what, I'm just going to leave this alone and either go for a walk or do something else or, you know, just, just decant for a minute. Anytime I feel that starting to rise, because now I recognize the physical sensations in my own body when it's too much. And as soon as I feel that I'm like, okay, I need to just step back because we have this pressure that there's some negative consequence if we don't do the thing, you know? And uh, one of the things that I learned is that most of the time things work themselves out by themselves without you having to intervene everywhere. <laughs> you know? Um, so knowing when to take a step back instead of always trying to push the thing through is, um, is definitely one of the skills that I've learned in the last few years. And really just being, I think one of the other things, especially as an entrepreneur, because it's completely different experience than working for someone and it has its benefits and it has its downsides. Um, and it's very difficult to be an island. And, you know, one of the things that I do miss the most about working in an organization is my team and being able to bounce ideas and hash things out together. You know, it's like now I have a lot of trusted advisors, but I always feel really bad taking up their time. Um, you know, like, hey, what do you think of this? Hey, what do you think of this? And I've, I've been gifted with some of the, like the most amazing brains to be able to talk to, but I prefer to solve it by myself if I can. Um, but also knowing it's like, celebrate the small wins, uh, which is not something that I would have said, you know, I've always been a perfectionist and until it's exactly right, then it's not good enough. And recognizing the effort that you've put in and celebrating that. And understanding that you also have no idea what could happen. Um, you know, we have, our brain spends almost all of its day predicting the future and what should happen and what is going to happen. And the truth is that we have absolutely no idea. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yes, the best predictor of future occurrences is past occurrences, but dynamics change, people change, elements change, energy changes, anything could happen. So I had situations where I was like, um, I'll send it, but they're definitely not going to get back. And it 100% turned into, you know, a long-term collaboration. So to really get out of that predictive brain that always knows exactly how things are going to happen and how things are going to turn out is another one of like the biggest pieces of advice I would give to anybody. Yeah, I love that so much. <laughs> totally relate to that as well. <clears throat> Erica, um, if people are interested to connect with you, how can they best do that? Well, they can find me at www.moodily.com. Um, or you can send me an email at erica moodily.com. I'm on LinkedIn. I also am on Instagram at moodily.wellness. And I think that's or on Facebook, but.
Awesome. Does, does anyone use awesome. Facebook anymore? <laughs> I, I, I still post my content there just because, you know. It's okay. there just in case, but. <laughs> but the engagement is not really there anymore. But yeah, um, this was so interesting. Thank you so much for sharing all of these really powerful insights with us. And um, I wish you all the best for your company. And um, like I said, there are so many things that I connect with personally, like your story, um, you know, what you do today and why you do it. Um, it's, I always think it's it's really cool that, you know, we're kind of finding each other again. And um, there are so many of us out there actually that help companies and employees and individuals to really uh, recognize that more and understand more what's really happening. I think it's such yes. work. And so I'm always excited to present new people that do the same things. And um, do you work, actually one more question, do you work a lot with uh, European companies then or more with like US-based companies or is that just mixed? I've been working a lot with global companies that are based in Europe. Okay. But they're all big, they're big international names, but their headquarters are here. Yeah, awesome, very cool. All right. Well, thank you so much, Erica. I wish you, thank you so much for staying up late as well. Um, I wish you a wonderful rest of your evening and a wonderful night. And um, I hope we'll be in touch in the future. Thank you so much for having me. Bye.